going to try and be funny again and remind you that as Christians, we know that prayer is important. I've been starting by saying that the last three weeks now, that prayer is important. We understand that. Uh, we also understand that, that uh, through uh, the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote to us and said, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We understand that. We would say that to be true. We would say that we understand that there is a need for prayer. Though we don't completely understand it. We, we don't always take part in it. Uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I, but I would assume that many of you are like me because you're human also, and that you're also in need of a Savior to forgive you of your uh, brokenness, just like myself. We, we know that prayer is important. We see a need from it, but we don't always take part in it. I heard a comment this week. Uh, you guys can keep praying for your president. I'm just going to assume he's going to take action, and I'm going to trust his action. You can, you can say all the prayers you want. I'm just going to, I'm just going to trust his action. Well, that's, that's being, that being said, how many of us would, would disagree with that? We would say, no, we need to pray. We need to pray and trust more in the Lord. Yet often we say that, but do we follow, do we actually follow up with that? So that's why we began with saying, uh, biblically, the first part of prayer is confession, understanding who we are and where we are, and that at all times we are in desperate need of the Lord, that we are always in need of the Lord, and that's why we pray. We, we say, God, we understand that you are God who's always in control, and I'm desperately in need of your, in need of your help. N- not many of us woke up this morning and are here today. My assumption again is not many of us woke up saying, Lord, I'm desperate you, for you to feed me. I'm desperate for you to give me breath. I'm desperate for you to give me grace and love and mercy. Many of us, though, probably woke up and saying, Lord, I'm desperate for you to forgive me. And most of the time, that's where our desperation comes out of, because we recognize we're convicted of our sin, and we would say, Lord, I'm desperate for your forgiveness. When we're talking about prayer of confession, we're saying, Lord, we are desperate for all of you. Every bit of the things that you have to offer, we are in desperate need of that. Love, mercy, forgiveness, food, breath, life, friendship, joy, all those things we are in desperate need of. Well, side note, uh, at our house, we talked a little bit about the fruits of the Spirit this week. And uh, it's interesting what the fruits of the Spirit are. You know them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruits of the Spirit are not money or friendships or, Gerald and I joke about this, Ford Raptors or cabins in the mountain that I so desperately, desperately want Those aren't the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. When we live by the Spirit, we're confessing, God, we need you. Those are the things that are being produced in us, that are growing in us. Those things. You can't really measure those well inside the church. You know, we, we want to measure them, but it's difficult. It's difficult to measure joy, biblical joy. It's difficult to measure and say that we've done really well. We'll we'll take this, for example, 37 years of of gentleness or 37 years of faithfulness. Those things are often difficult to measure, and so we have a a difficult time. So that's when we say confession as prayer is confession. is really important for us to come to an understanding of our desperate need for the Lord, for all of life. So we confess that, God, we know where we are, we know who we are, we know that we're in desperate need of you. 
And then we talked about last week, the prayer of supplication or petition. The reminder of, of us being reminded that because we're in desperate need of the Lord, we need to assume that His power and His control is best. And so in the prayer of supplication, we're basically saying to the Lord, we're putting power and control back into your hands. This is out of my power. This is out of my control. And so I'm putting it back, I'm placing it back into your hands, into your power, into your control. Because I see that you have all power, you have all control. And so because of that, I'm praying to you out of prayer of supplication and petition. God, I'm desperate for you to act in this way because I know that you have power. I know that you have control to do those things. How often just this past week did I forget that? That the Lord has all power. I do not. That he has all control. I do not. I need to be reminded of that. I can't help in this situation or this situation because I'm limited. But, the, but our God is not limited. And so we pray for others. We pray for ourselves. We pray for future believers like Christ prayed. And that's why I'm re- I want us to be reminded again. Last week we set a time there for you to choose three. Pick three. It's kind of like a lottery ticket for some of you. Pick three. Uh, pick three people that you would pray for. A family member, a fellow believer, and a future believer. And you would commit to pray for them, saying, God, their life is out of my control, out of my power. So I'm praying for their needs because I understand that you have power, you have control, you have all power, you have all control. And so we pray, pray for others. And this morning we want to talk about adoration or the prayer of praise. And because I like to reiterate a lot, you probably see some similarities in what we've already talked about. In fact, if you're one of those people that has a short attention span, you're welcome to go to sleep now because I've already preached the sermon, right? Prayer of adoration is basically us coming to an understanding that we understand as much as we can understand who God is. And when we understand that, we offer adoration and praise to Him. So, so prayer of adoration is saying, God, you are worthy of honor. You, you are worthy of honor. Now, we have to come to a point, though, of understanding why he's worthy of honor. We, we have to come to that point. I mean, here's some, some synonyms for, for, ad, for adore or adoration. Devotion. So what's worthy of your devotion? Uh, in, in, uh, in millennial or a younger generation term, adoration could also mean like a crush. You know, who is worthy of our, of our time? Who are we going to call our crush? Uh, reverence, we would say who's worthy of being revered? Who's worthy of reverence? If you're from the south, more south than New Mexico, I'm talking about the southern, you know, chicken fried steak without green chili, south. Uh, <laughs> You might say you have a hankering for someone, you know, like the Lord's worthy of my hankering. I don't know if you've ever said that. I, I kind of hope you haven't, but maybe you have, all right? And when we say that we, um, that when we come to the Lord and we adore Him, we say that He's worthy of our worship. We also say, we also often say that worship is just music, and so we want to turn music and say this, this music is music I'm going to use to adore you. That's what we did just moments ago when we're saying you're worthy of our worship, and so we're going to sing, we're going to sing to you. Mandy has often harassed me at home in a good, like, biblical wife harassment way. Um, why don't you ever sing to me? You know, it's like, I, I want you to adore me so much that you would sing to me. And so I do sing great songs to her, songs of love. And she's shaking her head, no, <sighs> i got to work on that. Adore means honor. It means attachment. It means admiration. So we're familiar with this. 
We have many things in our life that we do adore. We adore them so much we begin to worship them. We adore them so much we honor them above other things. If you watch the inauguration, obviously our country, parts of our country, adore um, some, some history, some tradition. Let's do this inauguration like it has been. Let's go into these rooms and look at these statues because they're worthy of being honored. And now we're hoping that someday this president will also be worthy of being honored or being adored or admired someday. But what's the opposite of a door? This is where, because I'm a sinner, because I'm broken, thanks be to God, I'm forgiven of this. But because I am broken, this is where I often turn to. Instead of adoring the Lord, the opposite would be I would disregard Him. I would assume that I can take control, that I have enough power, that I can handle the situation, that I could scheme best or come up with the best plan. And so instead of adoring the Lord and leaning on Him, ultimately I begin leaning upon myself. I disregard the Lord and honor myself. Or I disrespect the Lord. Instead of adoring Him, I disrespect Him by the way I, by my lack of trust in Him. And instead of respecting Him for His position and for what He's done and what He's going to do, I disrespect Him and trust in myself or things of this world instead of Him. Uh, if you're a Facebook friend, uh, you might think about uh, there's always that like button, but many of us would rather have a dislike button where you can dislike things. And if we're not adoring something, we're disliking it. We're going against it. And so in some regards, when we talk about our relationship with the Lord, there are times where we might say, Lord, if there was a button that I could push that said dislike, I dislike how this has happened. And so I said it. Instead of adoring the Lord, we dislike Him. And then this is where I really want to hit home for a moment. The opposite of adoration or adoring the Lord is humiliation. I mean, none of us even like a little bit to be humiliated. I, I don't know of a time, and I've only been on this earth 35 years, so it, it could happen. But I don't know a time where if someone has shared a story and said, it was the most humiliating time of my, of my life. But yet it was the best moment. I love being humiliated. In fact, I wake up in the morning thinking, I can't wait for someone to humiliate me today. And I go sit down with my kids at breakfast and they pour their cereal on me. And I go uh, walk out the door with cereal stains on my jeans. And I think, come on, humiliation, come my way. I can't, I can't wait for it. Most of us aren't longing to be humiliated. Most of us long to be adored. Most of us long to be honored. When we deal with humiliation, our fight or flight comes out. And people start humiliating us. We want to fight them or run away from them. Don't look at me. My fly's down. I'm humiliated. It's the most embarrassing moment of my life. I'll tell you a story. A few years ago, my dad was um, part of a company and it was based out of Dallas. And they were uh, mapping, uh, doing some mapping for cities for, uh, for like uh, – Phone and cable systems, doing some mapping, some, uh, what do you call it, CAD drafting type stuff, right? And so um, so he had some employees, and um, uh, one of the employees ate some bad food. I'm not going to say where it was from, uh, but it was a, a, a fast food restaurant, okay? So take your risk if you want with fast food. He ate some bad food, and, and uh, the mapping process was they walked streets and measured and looked at telephone poles and all these things. And so uh, this one gentleman starts running up to his, to, his, uh, to his boss and says, hey, you've got to get me to a place where I can um, 
have some privacy because I've, I've got some issues going on because of the food that I ate, right? Unfortunately, the closest place was not close enough, and things happened. Humiliation begins, and it was a terrible scene. In fact, my dad said it was like a crime scene, and they needed a crime scene investigator to come and clean up the mess. And so in this moment where the bad food and all this disaster happens, uh, the rest of the crew is laughing and humiliating this guy and says, oh, you know, who are you, a, a child, that you know that, that this would happen. And so um, in humiliation, they take this gentleman to the car wash to help him clean up. How humiliating is that? You know, it's a humiliating moment. Though it's funny and some of us want to laugh, I laugh when my dad told me it's a humiliating moment. This guy's humiliated. So uh, next day the guy doesn't show up and he calls my dad on the phone and says, Mr. Thackerson, I just can't come into work. Like, I understand you were, you were sick yesterday. You can definitely have the day off. He's like, no, no, you don't understand, Mr. Thackerson. I can never come in again. I was so humiliated. I never, I never want to see those men or yourself ever again. And my dad in response said, you know, I don't completely understand, but I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, I just don't blame you. We don't long for humiliation. We long to be honored. I mean, if the story was different, if the gentleman had done something great, and they would have awarded him with a trophy saying, this was the best day of your life. I mean, you can guarantee that guy would have been in the next day. Holding his trophy or his plaque or whatever it is saying, look at me, I've been honored. I want to be here. I want to work here. This is a great moment. Instead, he was humiliated. He began to run away and go and choose to do something different. We don't long to be humiliated. We long to be honored. I think it's the same with the Lord. He doesn't long to be disrespected or disregarded or disliked or humiliated. He longs to be honored. He longs to be adored. He longs to be worshipped. That all our attention and our affection would be placed upon him and him alone because he's worthy of that. So this is the one time that we can talk about the past and really let it be a guide to us. We would say that the past is going to be a helpful guide to guide us into the future because we recognize who God is from what he's done in the past and we assume that he will act similar, if not the same, in the future. And so we trust in the way he acted in the past and we honor him and adore him because of the way he acted in the past. Turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, towards the middle of your Bible. Psalm 145. When Christ began to, uh, to give a model prayer or, or give us an example prayer in Matthew chapter 6, uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, he began with the words, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. He sets the tone there. He says, here's who you're praying to. This God who is holy. This God who is set apart. This God is who is not, he's not like any other God or any other thing that you know. He's a holy God. This is who you're praying to. So he's setting the stage. He's saying, when we come and pray before the Lord in a biblical prayer, we come adoring the Lord. We come in a prayer of adoration. We come acknowledging who God is because of what he's done and because of what he's going to do. And Psalm 145 gives us an example of that. We'll start in verse 1. We're going to read through the whole thing together. Break it down a little bit. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. One thing that happens in Christian world, in church world, in religious world, is um, we hear things, we recognize language, and we, we nod our head when we see it. 
I extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. If you've been in church or a part of anything Christian before, you probably heard words like that. And you would acknowledge saying, yeah, absolutely, I'll bless the name of the Lord forever. Verse 2 says this, this is the reason why he would bless the Lord forever. It goes on, he says, every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So when we come and we're adoring the Lord in our prayers, we're recognizing as David recognized here in this song of praise or this prayer of adoration, we're recognizing that there is none greater than the Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I mean, we live in a world that records are to be broken. Greatness is to be exceeded. You can be great one year and say we are the world champions of professional baseball, but the next season you may be the least of the greatest because your season following was terrible. And so you can be great one year, but next year someone else can be greater than you. David is reminding us that there is none greater than the Lord, that he is the greatest and always will be the greatest. When we pray to the Lord, that's who we're praying to. When we come and we say when we want to adore you and we want to worship you, we're, we're speaking to the greatest of the greatest that no one will ever be greater. We are speaking to the greatest Lord of all. Greatest Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. When we're adoring the Lord, when we come and we're praying, we're saying, God, we want to praise you through our prayers. We begin thinking about and meditating on what the Lord has done. We remember back generation after generation after generation of how the Lord has acted. And we, we praise the Lord for that. We say, great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised because of the way you have acted and the way you're going to act. This is the prayer of adoration. Honoring God because he alone is the only one worthy to be honored. Verse 6, they speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. So David is talking about former generations who have praised the Lord. He's talking about moments where people have shared to him, here's what the Lord has done. A church is a great example of where a group of believers could get together and say, let me remind you of what the Lord has done. Like, that's what we should be when we talk about the past, those are the things that we should be bringing up. Can I remind you how the Lord acted? Can I remind you of how the Lord acted in my life? Can I tell you a story about how God acted in my life and how God was faithful and how God gave me peace through this moment or God gave me joy through this moment? Can I remind you of how God acted in this moment? So David's writing this saying, generations before me have, have given me this idea of who this great Lord is how he's acted and how he, how I'm going to trust that he will act. Verse 7, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And it gets real personal. I feel like this is where a moment where David connects with the Lord. He has this, his, his experience, an experience of his own with the Lord. And he says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When you begin praying and adoring the Lord, you begin thinking about moments. Lord, when were you patient with me? When were you merciful with me? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
If there was ever a verse in Scripture that I would say, that for myself as a dad I need to model more, it would be this verse. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh, that I would show that as a father to my children, as a husband to my wife, that I would be one modeling my life after a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, God. Like these are the things that we connect and we say, and we say we pray a prayer of praise and adoration to you because God, we recognize how you are gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Again, David continues on and shows this uh, personal reflection almost of who God is. Verse 10 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints, saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. I'm not trying to fool myself ever into believing that at the end of your life you're going to come back in the short time that we've already had together, the end of your life you're going to come back and say, here's the moments I remember the most in my life. I remember that sermon series on prayer. I remember how extremely passionate and perfect my pastor was. <laughs> how his sermons were the best I'd ever heard in my entire life. And how he motivated me every Sunday to follow the Lord obediently. Like, I know you're not going to come back to that. Instead, at the end of your life, my hope is, because of your experience with the Lord, at the end of your life, you're going to say, my God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, gracious, merciful. You're going to think back to moments when God showed His work in your life or His hand at work in your life. You're going to think back to moments where you can say, I depended upon the Lord and I was obedient to the Lord and the Lord acted and He gave me joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He gave me and matured me in, in those ways. Those are the things that you're going to look back and reflect on. As a believer, that's what we should be looking back on. As a church, a body, a community of believers, we should be pointing people to, to God. Because He's the only one worthy of worship and honor. Not that at the end of your life we would honor you, though you may have done something worthy of being honored, or my, maybe I've done something worthy of being honored. But instead we say we lift up the name of Christ. We lift up who God is because He is the only one who's worthy of being honored. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your domain endures throughout all generations. I had a conversation last week with some students, and um, the conversation went like this. How long will that lunch last you? How long will it last you? I don't know, a couple of hours? That's right. Only a couple of hours. So you can't be dependent upon that lunch to satisfy you forever. How long is the current relationship that you're in as a sophomore in high school, how long is that going to last you? I don't know, maybe six months, maybe six days. I don't know, maybe six more minutes. So you can't depend upon that relationship to satisfy you forever. We have to be satisfied by something that's everlasting. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your domain endures throughout all generations. If the church should preach anything, 
It should be the kingdom that belongs to the Lord that we're a part of. That we preach and we adore the Lord because He is a God who's throughout all generations. He is an everlasting God. The rest of verse 13 says, The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. I have a, tr- a little bit of trouble with that part. Because I've only been on this earth 35 years. I might come back and say, well, wait a minute. I understand that the word says the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. But I can think back to a couple of moments where I would say, at least I would feel, because of the circumstance, well, what if the Lord wasn't faithful to his word, kind in all his works? I'll think back to some moments I feel like the Lord was not being kind to me. At least it didn't feel that way. It felt like he was being harsh. It felt like punishment in a way. I'm not saying coming here was punishment. Don't, don't get me wrong. But maybe we, I mean, we had those moments where we say, is, is this true? We can read David's words and we begin to think, wait a minute. This was his experience. And you're calling me, Pastor, this morning to praise and adore the Lord. But maybe I don't have the same experiences as David. Sure, David. I mean, if there's anybody to praise and adore the Lord, it would be David wouldn't necessarily be me. Has the Lord really worked in my life as he worked in David's life? Does the Lord really deserve the praise that David says he deserves? Is he truly at work in my life? As So you have to begin praying saying, Lord, I want to experience you as those before me have experienced you. I want to come to an understanding of who you are completely. God, I don't want to humiliate you. I believe you to be worthy of honor. I just want to see that for myself. It's Psalm 34, 8, when David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we can put that on a coffee cup. And as we're sipping the best cup of coffee ever, we'd say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's a good moment. You know when David wrote that probably? When he was desperately hungry and the only bread available was the holy bread in the temple. And he did something that was out of sight. He did something that should not have been done. But he was given the holy bread to eat. The bread that was set apart for holy people. The bread that was set apart for the Lord. And he ate the holy bread. Not the bread for common people. Not the bread set apart for those who are with sin. But instead, he ate the bread that belonged to the Lord. The holy bread. I believe he wrote that. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He had a moment in his own life that he looked back and reflected and said, Man, God, you are amazing. You are worthy of adoration. You are not worthy of humiliation. You are worthy of so much more than being humiliated. You are worthy of my entire life. You're worthy of all honor, of all praise. Great is Lord and greatly to be praised. We have to have those moments. Lord, would you give me a moment today? Would you give me a moment this week that I taste and see how good you are? Would you give me a moment, even though it may be simple as eating a loaf of bread, would you give me a moment that I could taste and see how good you are? As you're praying for your family member, as you're praying for your fellow believer, as you're praying for a future believer, maybe you pray that this week. Psalm 34, 8. Lord, let them taste and see how good you are so that you receive all honor and all praise. 
Let's finish up with Psalm 145, verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Lord, we recognize that you alone satisfy. I know I've probably said that way too much here, but we have to, we really have to do some soul searching and saying, what is it that's bringing satisfaction to my life today? What is it that I'm looking for this week to bring me satisfaction? The prayer of praise and adoration says, Lord, let us find satisfaction in you and you alone. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also bears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. That's good words from David. I mean, it's the truth. We're saying that these words from David came from the Lord and we're acknowledging that these are God's words here in Psalm 145. And they're great. We understand that. We'll agree with it. We'll say yes, amen, that these are God's words. We'll say yes, amen, that we understand that God is worthy to be praised. We have to experience that for ourselves. We have to taste and see for ourselves. There's a TV show called Meat Eater. Mandy loves it. She says every time it comes on, please turn it off. Uh, it's a show about, a, it's kind of a hunting show. It's a guy who's going around the world experiencing different kinds of, of meat to eat. Meat eater. Okay, you got it. And uh, he's down in, um, uh, in the Amazon jungle and uh, he's experiencing some new meat. And he says, his words are, this, is some, this taste is a taste I've never experienced before. And I will never forget it. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Oh, the, the, I'll just, I'll make the point again, but I want to tell you that the meat that he was eating was a monkey, okay? It's a, it's a taste I will never forget. It's a taste I've experienced I will never forget ever again. The prayer of adoration is saying, God, we've tasted you. We've experienced you. We will never forget who you are. Psalm 23. Maybe you've heard it before. Psalm 23. This is David looking and reflecting back in his, his life, understanding who God is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's experienced the Lord. He understands who he is, so he's praising him. He's offering prayer of adoration. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I mean, David is writing this from experience. He's remembering back to times when the Lord has worked in his life. Oftentimes in church world and Christian world, we, we look back in the past and we reflect on things, reflect on good things. But we need to reflect on the great things, the things that are from the Lord. Lord, you led me. You kept me. You made me lie down and rest. You watched over me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm praising you and adoring you, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, David is praising, and 
adoring the Lord because he understands in this moment that I'm suffering through, I know because God has been faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful currently, and he's going to be faithful in the future. He's experienced it. He tasted it, and he saw that the Lord was good, and he believes it to be true. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David experienced God. He tasted and he saw that the Lord was good. He reflected back on his life and said, in these moments when I thought suffering was too much, in these moments when I thought I was going to be overcome by the trials of the, wor- of the world, in these moments I look back and reflect and I can praise and adore the Lord because of who He is. I can trust in Him because of what He's done, what He's going to do, and what He's doing. The prayer of adoration is extremely important. It's us recognizing who God is. Who God was, who God is, who God is going to be. If, if there were an importance to all prayers, my opinion would be this would be the greatest. Because the prayer of adoration is saying, ultimately, God, only you are worthy of, of honor. Only you, have worthy, or you are worthy of praise. I'm not deserving of it. Though my pride rises up, my pride rises up and I think I'm worthy of it, but instead, God, I recognize in a prayer of adoration that only you are worthy of praise. I've told you before that I mean, I'm not going to not admit it. I'm going to confess this to you, but I am a little bit of a fan of rap music. I'm sorry if that offends you, but maybe one day the Lord will open your eyes to it also. But there's a line in a rap song I like. I gotta drop my pride and raise my praise. And I think that's important that we would see that it is not about us. And the one time that we can really make it not about us is when we approach the Lord in prayer through adoration and through praise. Where we say, my pride is lessened. This is not about me. This is completely about the Lord. I would ask that you would help me in that. Maybe you would pray for, for me, saying, Lord, help Matt. Let his pride drop and let his praise to you rise. As I'm praying for you, I'm praying, Lord, would you help us to see you for who you are? God, can we taste and see you so that we honor and adore you and you alone? We don't want to be those who humiliate you. We don't want to be those who disregard you or disrespect you. Instead, God, we want to revere you. We want to honor you, to worship you, to praise you. And that's the prayer of adoration. I'll remind you, the Savior we call Savior, the Lord we call Lord, the Messiah we call Messiah, the one that we call the Son of God, Jesus, who came to save us, oh, he faced humiliation. He was stripped down, placed upon a cross that he is not deserving of. He faced humiliation. And after he suffered for, for me, and he suffered for you, and he suffered for those who will believe, 
and those who have believed. He suffered and faced humiliation. And he rose from the dead by the power of the Lord. He was, he was and is seated at the highest place of honor. And if that is true, then he is the only one worthy of our praise. He's the only one worthy to be adored. Let me pray for us.